2: An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Gregory Smiths. Dr. Smits is a professor of history and Asian studies at Pennsylvania State University. He is a social and cultural historian of Japan, and he's the author of two studies of Japanese earthquakes, When the Earth Roars, Lessons from the History of Earthquakes in Japan, and Seismic Japan, the Long History and Continuing Legacy of the Ensai Edo Earthquakes. Let's hear what he has to say about the Great Kanto Earthquake. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Rebecca. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: So could you start off by giving us some context uh, on the state of Japan in the 1920s before the earthquake? What was the jazz era? How was Japan growing and expanding?
1: Yes. um, So um, uh, Japan in the 1920s was undergoing... um, all, you know, of course, societies always change, but you know some societies change faster at certain times, and this was a time of especially rapid change uh, in Japan. Uh, in approximately 1918, it had become majority urban. That was the result of World War One, and uh, and that urban urbanizing trend continued pretty much from 1918 all the way to the present day. And so um, cities were growing rapidly uh, vis-a-vis the countryside and all of the um, enticements of cities, you know, the, I mean, the downside was factory work. That was really, de- you know, demanding for people who didn't have skills and all the, that kind of misery of an industrial society. But, but on the other hand, a middle class was steadily growing. Uh, average income was increasing And um, cities were getting an influx of low cost food, for example, from Japan's colonies, which were out there, Korea being especially important in what we're about to talk about. And um, uh, so there was a discourse that developed uh, that was highly critical of what was happening in society, Uh, critical of gender roles being disrupted. Uh, there's a great deal of concern with that, that women were cutting their hair short. That was always the, the ultimate symbol of problems in society. And uh, you know, I mean, It's really tame compared to today, but you know, women were cutting their hair shorts and sometimes going out and getting jobs in, in restaurants or cafes, and uh, people were idling around, you know, in their leisure time and uh, uh, and spending inordinate amounts of money on recreation, such as theater and things like that, all things that are very tame by today's standards. But uh, these were signs by many uh, social commentators that things were um, not right with the world. And, and I should also add for a broader context that throughout the whole world, there was an anxiety about modernity at right about this time. In the United States, for example, um, there was all sorts of concern about what had caused World War One, and uh, what sorts of social forces were at work behind this sort of thing. And, um, you know, the, the so-called monkey trial was about going to happen in 1925. So this is not just Japan, but all over the world. There's a sort of anxiety about many of the aspects of modernity that were, in full motion at the time.
2: So in, in terms of uh, the, the buildings in Japan, how sturdy was the construction of, of the buildings in Tokyo at the time?
1: All right. They, um, in general, they weren't very sturdy. Now, that said, there were exceptions. And one of the things that comes out of this earthquake is there, there really isn't any advancement in seismology that comes out of this earthquake. Some earthquakes do cause that, but this one didn't. But it did cause in uh, a change in building construction, namely the use of reinforced concrete. And so people noted when, it, when the dust had settled, that reinforced concrete structures did very well. Mm-hmm. But mo- most structures were wooden. And wooden structures actually do very well to a point in earthquakes. In fact, they're uh, because they're, there's flexibility in them. So, uh, like in California, that's a very good thing is to have a, a, a wooden structure as long as it's really well anchored uh, to, the, to the foundation. But all this wood, and then combined with the, the timing of the earthquake at just before noon uh, when people were cooking, plus other um, structural problems like gas mains that had been hastily installed since the 1880s and 90s uh water mains that were old and made of clay pipes that that quickly broke um, and all this combined to cause uh, massive fires in a very short time so the you know the basically the building of tokyo was almost ideally suited for a disaster to cause the worst possible disaster from an earthquake
2: Perhaps you can walk us through how it all went down um, that afternoon. Uh, what happened first? How was the initial shock? And then, um, and then what proceeded after that?
1: Okay. So based on various kinds of eyewitness accounts, and some of the most useful are actually from ships captains who were in the harbor. And so the ship was fine. I mean, there's some waves and so forth, uh, but, um, you know, they, they could notice the, and get a sense of the rough timing of things. And so based on accounts like this, the earthquake occurred at two minutes before noon, and it was there was heavy shaking. The epicenter was nearby in the Sagami Bay area, um, and it was a megathrust earthquake. In other words, it generated a tsunami. Um, but um, uh, the tsunami in Tokyo was not really an important factor Uh, The important factor was the shaking, which um, broke gas lines, turned over cooking fires and broke water mains. And and so fires began to be noticed within one minute of the cessation of shaking. The many accounts noted that within like, for example, looking at it from uh, from Tokyo Bay or from Yokohama, uh, within twenty minutes to thirty minutes, it looked like the entire city was on fire. Wow. So we have fires shooting up within a minute or two and complete conflagration within twenty to thirty minutes.
2: So what were these fire tornadoes that i've I've read about? Uh, and, and w- are these an anomaly to this earthquake or or does this happen after earthquakes? Is this common?
1: It's not common, but it could happen depending on circumstances, and it's um, uh, essentially the creation of a furnace such that the, the, the flames are so intense uh, and there's so much uh, fuel that it, it creates a kind of vortex. It sucks in material into the fire, which then burns it up, and and uh, and you know the the, the hot air rises, mm. thus sucking in more material. So it's like a Uh, A kind of a a, a vortex. So one of the reasons for this was the weather was hot, uh, dry and and actually very windy because not in Tokyo itself, but nearby off off the coast were some uh, typhoons. So they were kicking up uh, heavy winds. And so the combination of broken gas mains, no water to fight the fire, lots of wood. Uh, and dry, uh, heavy winds is what co- you know came together to cause this furnace-like atmosphere. It's very much like the you might have heard of the fire bombings of Tokyo at, toward the end of World War II, created very similar effects, huh. where the rivers would boil from the heat, uh, you know, things and people would explode just from the sheer heat. It's, it wasn't quite that intense in 1923, but very similar kinds of, of effects were going on.
2: Wow! Uh, um, no, to, I I did not I had not heard of those.
1: Yeah, uh, to give one example, that many people uh, died in part because they were trying to flee, um, and the roads turned into a kind of tar, and they got ah. stuck in the roadway material, um, you know, because of the, of the heat. Um, um
2: that sounds absolutely terrible I, uh, I now I, I believe that a, also a large portion of the death toll took place inside one department store um, uh, Can you explain to us what happened there
1: yes um actually I, it probably wasn't a department store uh, it was the, the word de- depot so it's the um. army clothing depot right so the, the um, uh, th- that was just happened to be a very large open, area, just kind of big, open, flat area, um, where, you know, so it was being used as a warehouse for army clothing, uh, and it's fairly close to the middle of town, and so it's the only, it's the largest open area, uh, you know, in the, you know, downtown Tokyo, and as these firestorms start popping up in different parts of town, people are naturally tending to flee to this open area. Uh, one other thing I should mention in, in this context is that parks were very few in number and very narrow. So there weren't a lot of open areas. That was another problem with Tokyo at the time. And so this was the idea. It made sense. Let's flee. Take you your carrying all your belongings that you can carry. We're going to flee into this open area that can accommodate wow. tens of thousands of people if they pack in. Um, it seemed reasonable to the people at the time, but unfortunately the entire area, the entire depot became engulfed. The, the, the firestorm just headed toward it. And uh, by the time people realized that this was not a good place to be, there was really no way to escape. Uh, If you were at the edge, you know, which way do you run? Um, If you were in the middle, there's you couldn't run. You were just packed in there. Um, Some people did survive simply by virtue of being at the bottom of you know, a pile of human bodies, but, oh, wow. uh, but essentially uh, approximately 38,000 people died there. And many of them were burned beyond recognition. It was, uh, you can actually see photos of this, if you uh, Google for them, at least photos of the aftermath. Uh, wow.
2: So. Now uh, you mentioned the tsunamis briefly, uh, were there tsunamis, uh, and where did they take place? How did they, you know, form manifest?
1: Yes, so um, this earthquake was caused by the rupture of a subduction zone um, uh, Mm -hmm. along the 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 Philippine Philippine and Okutz plates, and um, so uh, just the typical scenario is um, a a, that friction has locked the fault, and then when it finally does rupture, one of the slabs does this—it's kind of this kind of motion that throws off water if it happens at the right speed. If it's too slow, it doesn't happen, and other, for other reasons, it might not. So not every megathrust earthquake generates a tsunami, but most of them do. Mm. And this one did. The tsunami was about 10 meters or 33 feet, and it inundated areas a little bit south of Tokyo in the Sagami uh, Bay Area. Uh, and it did cause, uh, many estimates are that it washed away about 500,000 homes and structures Uh, We're not quite sure how many people it killed, but thousands. Um, So it was very disruptive, although not in Tokyo itself, but just a little bit to the south.
2: So after the quake, uh, people turned against the Korean immigrant community. Now, what happened? Why? What is the history between the Japanese and Koreans at the time?
1: Okay. So um, Korea became a colony. of Japan, and you can. There are two dates you could give for that: either 1905 or 1910, depending on exactly how you define it. But anyway, since 1910, for sure. And so, um, for so for the last 13 or more years, Korea has been a colony of Japan. And in that context, Korean Koreans had been coming over into Japan's cities, Osaka and Tokyo, especially. To work in the factories so this is part of this urbanization I described earlier there were there were demands for unskilled factory laborers ideally you know from the factory owner's point of view the lower the wages the better and so Korean laborers were willing to work at lower wages than Japanese laborers so there had been by 1923 uh, fairly large uh, Korean immigrant communities in Japan now, strictly speaking, they are in some sense Japanese, you know, because of the, the, the colonizing, but of course, culturally and in many other ways, they, they were distinct. Uh, and so that, that's the Korean community. And there was a sense on the part of many uh, Japanese that Koreans in general did not like Japan and Japanese because you know, they've been colonized. Uh, moreover, there was a Korean independence movement that had developed in Korea and it was had burst forth in the early 1920s. So this was very much uh, in, uh, you know, in the newspapers and so forth. So that's that's one factor. The other big factor is. Just the fact, just as you were surprised at the extent of the, the devastation by fire, So, too, many people in Tokyo thought, well, there's no way that an earthquake could cause this degree of fire damage. Uh, Mm. And so rumors spread that Koreans had lighted fires, you know, in in, in the wake of the confusion of the earthquake or were poisoning wells uh, so that, you know, to to hamper uh, the relief situation or that in the wake of the earthquake and the fires, that Koreans were taking advantage of that to loot or to to rob people um, and and things like that. I have actually looked at the newspapers of this time and found you know very big you know, not the front page headlines but but second page type headlines uh, of newspapers actually sp- spreading these rumors, uh, not necessarily endorsing them wholeheartedly, but by saying we have heard, and then they you, you get all these these kinds of accounts. So um, that was the context for vigilante um, violence against Koreans uh, or people imagined to possibly be Koreans. So the, the usual way that uh, these vigilante gangs would identify people as Korean was by asking them to say something that um, would, if if you if your native language was Korean, it would be very difficult to say, mm. and. Um, but also there were people in, in Tokyo from all over the world who looked Asian. Right, so uh, there were people from China, uh, at least roughly 100, we think, uh, uh, if not more, um, died from um, from these vigilante gangs because they were asked to say this and they uh, couldn't say it or right. couldn't say it in you know, Tokyo accented Japanese. There were also people with speech impediments in two or three cases. Uh, people from outlying areas of Japan that had very strong local accents. Um, indeed, the the seismologist who's most famous, well, there are two of them, but one of the two seismologists, he, he was credited for predicting this earthquake, even though he didn't, no one can predict earthquakes and he didn't, but Akitsune, uh, um, so, um, Imamura Akitsune, or Akitsune Imamura, if you say in the Western order, um, he was from Kagoshima Prefecture, way down in the south, um, and I, I used to live there, uh, too, and there's a very distinct accent, even to this day, and so he was detained by one of these gangs, and he was nervous for a little while, because they were very suspicious of him, uh, but he did he did you know, manage to, to, uh, to come out okay. So, yeah, um, according to the government at the time, they gave the, the ridiculously low figure of a... I forgot exactly, but roughly 130 Koreans had died, unfortunately, in, you know, they didn't call it vigilante violence but they used some term. Uh, the But the, and we'll never know how many, but the estimates, the lower end estimates are 6,000. Wow. Um, uh, higher end estimates will go as high as 10,000. Uh, but I would say it's safe to say at least 6,000. Uh, Entirely innocent people, mostly Korean, but some Chinese and others uh, died um, from vigilante violence. Um.
2: So, I mean, we talk a lot about tragedies on this podcast. Um, uh, Were there any stories that you know about survival from uh, this event? And how did those that survive manage to do it?
1: Yeah, uh, there are many stories, and in fact, um, the Boy Scouts and others kind of quasi-public agencies uh, actually compiled stories after the earthquake in the in the spirit of, you know, kind of glorifying um, the, the resilience of the population and, and things like that. Um, I have actually read so many that they all kind of blur together uh, in my mind, uh, but there are many stories of children for example separated from their parents and then who uh, eventually uh, well in some cases eventually get reunited uh, or uh, tra- more tragically that that um, you know find that that one or both of their parents uh, are uh, perished or vice versa um there's no there was no particular thing that one would do in this earthquake to survive you know, in other words there was no particular strategy it was just sort of local situation. The building is crashing down around me. I stood in the door frame and and, and I was okay. or I ran out in the street just as the building was crashing. Um, it, the, the survival stories are of that type. Uh, or in this con- conflagration in in the uh, clothing depot, um, it was a case of I just you know hunkered down and then an hour or two later, uh, I realized I was still alive, and kind of clawed my way out of the debris and the bodies, and you know, found that I was alive.
2: What was the rebuilding effort like after the earthquake? All right,
1: yeah. Now that's um, as you can imagine. Uh, soon after the earthquake, the politicians, like the mayor of Tokyo and and the prime minister and so forth, said, "Well, this was awful, but uh, this is an opportunity to create." Uh, a greater Tokyo and a greater Japan uh, both you know physically and spiritually but as far as this the physical went it's an opportunity to rationalize Tokyo to take these narrow crisscrossing streets and irregular sized lots and to make them into nice straight streets wider than before with nice square regularly you know uh, shaped lots uh, larger parks Uh, and and a system where the parks are interconnected, if possible, uh, better schools and other public facilities that can also be used as places to which people could flee in times of disaster. So a a tremendous, ambitious plan uh, came forth within about a year or two of the earthquake. And it looked great, but of course, it's expensive. And there are other issues like People don't necessarily want their land to be squared off, especially if they're going to lose some of their land. So, you know, to what extent does the government compensate people for lost land? Once you start to get into the details, it becomes very expensive. And so um, and, and then, of course, also, as time goes by, people are less likely to want to sacrifice for this great vision. So the result was that by roughly 1931 or two, the rebuilding was complete. So it took a little bit like around eight years. And the result was a, a for sure, a better Tokyo. All these things, more parks, wider streets, uh, some rationalization of the, of the of the land and so forth, but not nearly as much as the original plan. So it was it was a, in the end, a, a compromise.
2: Now. How has Japan's location on the Ring of Fire affected its history and culture?
1: Okay, yeah. So Japan is at the intersection of four different tectonic plates, uh, and uh, several of which are subducting so that one is going under the other, uh, which creates the conditions for earthquakes that generate significant tsunamis. And of course, this has been the case ever since human beings were living in Japan. So um, it it's you know, you, you can find people who make a big deal of this and, and like to come up with theories about Japanese culture based on disasters. There there's a kind of an industry of theorizing about Japanese culture, which I think often goes too far no matter what approach they take. So this is definitely a, a factor and in coastal areas or any area that's uh, subject to tsunami, for example, the local people who live there quickly figured out that um, you should, um, if, if, if there's an earthquake, you should run through the hills. Uh, and this would have been passed down simply in, in local lore. Uh, and um, however, in, in the modern era, people started moving around especially moving to big cities. And a lot of this local lore was, was you know, forgotten or just not quite uh, there. Um, and then there are also the the, the randomness of, of, of earthquakes. They don't occur regularly. Uh, now, of course, we can, we can go back to all the records and notice when there was one in historical, human historical time, which is just minuscule compared to geological time, And, you know, add them up and average them and come up with a recurrence interval, but that doesn't tell you very much of practical value. And that's something that's only been done very recently. So um, typically, uh, uh, just throw somebody down in Japan and and then that person's lifetime, there is, it is unlikely that that person will experience a, a very large devastating earthquake. Um, Every three generations or so, it is likely that somebody is going to uh, experience a large, devastating earthquake. So there's there's enough earthquakes that there is a useful earthquake lore that develops in in terms of if the earth shakes, run to high ground. If the earth shakes, avoid these kind of areas. Expect the possibility of, of this or that. Uh, But on the other hand, it's not so frequent that this that people are always current about this knowledge, um, uh, especially in in the modern era. Mm. So um, and then it just so happens that after World War II, there was a period of about 50 years of remarkable quiescence in the earth where there just weren't that many important earthquakes happening or tsunami until 1995 uh, in Kobe. So there was also this period, in more recently, when people thought, "Oh, modern science is doing amazing things." You know, imagine the 1950s and 60s and right. rockets going to the moon. And I'm sure that those seismologists are busy figuring out how to predict earthquakes, uh, and uh, they'll be able to tell us when one's coming, and we can get out of there. And 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 it's a long and complicated story, but they were actually getting money to do that from the government. But of course, no one can do that. Uh, so. Um, Uh, 1995, was quite a shock to many people in Japan, and there was a shift from spending resources trying to predict earthquakes, which is essentially impossible. I mean, in in the most abstract theory, maybe someday it will become possible, but it isn't possible now, to um, uh, anti-seismic engineering in construction, and uh, that's been going on since the 1990s in a very big way. And the the big earthquake in 2011 really showed the effectiveness of that as those, you've probably seen images of those tall buildings in Tokyo swaying back and forth and, and uh, you know, essentially because there are shock absorbers in the foundation. So that's been the focus uh, since the 1990s.
2: Now, in in your opinion, how should all of us be prepared for the, this inevitable and unpredictable event? Do you have any top, Tips. (laughs) tips
1: <laughs> okay i might not be the perfect person to ask for that because you know it's um uh but but they so if i'm living in japan uh and you'll even in a hotel or something there will often be a hard hat helmet in in the closet and a, fl- a waterproof flashlight things like that so just at a personal level most people in japan know to keep that those kinds of items at hand as well as water and non-perishable food and things like that. Um, so I think people in Japan are are very good at that. They've been instructed, you know, what to do. Um, and there are, you know, of course, common sense things like standing in, in doorways if you can't get out of a building uh, and um, uh, you know, making automatic gas shutoffs and, and so forth. But if you don't have that, then you know, go run and turn off the gas. Uh, you know, those sort of common sense things. Uh, now, in Japan, it's amazing the extent to which a lot of this is now built in for, for you know, so the, the the trains will stop running on, on the mm-hmm. Shinkansen, for example. Uh, they can sense the movement of the earth faster than a human can detect it and immediately shut down, even before the people on the train realize an earthquake is happening. Um, and that happened in 2011, and it worked great. I think only one train uh, was derailed. And even that was there were no fatalities or anything, um, and so you know there's a lot of stuff that's built in on people's phones. There will be um, an earthquake warning now. You know you can't really warn before it happens, but just as soon as it happens, an earthquake is happening. So that maybe if if you're a little bit further away and you're just starting to feel the shaking, you'll have a little bit of extra warning. And then a tsunami warning is actually practical.
2: So at the end of the day. we ask all of our guest experts this question. If you had to pick one person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the massive destruction and the loss of life caused by the great Kanto earthquake. Who or what would that be?
1: A person or a concept? All right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's actually, uh, just real briefly, there was a kind of uh, right after the earthquake, people blamed a particular individual. I, I don't think he deserves necessarily to be blamed. Omori Fusakichi, who is a seismologist. And Omori's view was we shouldn't alarm people about earthquakes. So, you know, he would tend to err on the side of caution uh, about the possibility of an earthquake hitting Tokyo. Um, so I don't I, I think he, he his view was reasonable. But... Um, Complacency, uh, in in broadly defined, you know, to include the kind of a, a certain a sort of momentum or laziness in which you say, yes, there are all these dangers out there, and we'll, you know they're on our list to deal with. Like say, if you're a city official or something, but um, uh, that was really uh, uh, one of the the factors that caused a great deal of loss of life. Uh, complacency. Uh, uh, let's uh, yeah. An earthquake might happen, and we, we've got gas lines all over the place, and too much wooden construction, and so forth. But you know, no one person can can is in a position to change all that. So uh, that really came to a head. I've seen newspaper articles as early as the 1890s warning about exactly this sort of thing happening in Tokyo if an earthquake happens. Uh, so the warnings were out there, but uh, society. Uh, chose not to heed them.
2: Well, that's a lot to think about. And thank you so much, Greg, for helping us understand this terrible tragedy.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. And uh, good luck with all of your endeavors.
2: Thank you. You too.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. I love talking to experts. Yes. I just... (laughs) Could do it all day. Yeah. So many great points that Greg had about this. You know, terrible tragedy. I mean, just the describing of uh, of what it was like right after the shock, mm-hmm. um, the the terrible death toll, and how those people perished. In uh, we need to clarify, not a department store. No. Uh, a depot. Because I think we right. we got a little confused, and we started and we did discuss. Uh, <laughs> How yeah. much we didn't like department stores. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> you're off the hook this time, sorry, Macy's. Sorry, department stores. But in in um, you know, in describing that, he also talked about how there just weren't many open areas yes. around the yeah. city, and how the city was constructed so quickly, and and it grew so quickly that you know, it, it, you know, and going back to his sort of final. Decision about complacency. The city builders or the people in charge didn't care to create these parks or these spaces. Um, you know, in the original, I guess version. Um, well, who at that plans time.
3: for who does? Like, what city planner is thinking about fire tornadoes too? You know, it's like it makes sense that people would go to the one open area because there's fires within like a minute of this earthquake. But right. how, it, it kind of reminded me of you know the funicular. Uh, disaster where everyone ran up the track instead of down the track away from the smoke it's like your instincts either fail you or really help you out in that desperate
2: moment right
3: yes
0: exactly
2: Uh, it makes you appreciate all the parks around uh your i I started immediately started thinking about all the parks in my neighborhood yeah and how uh, you know quickly i should probably run to them and (laughs) How grateful and, I am that they're there. And, <laughs> and well, you what are, guys are going to
3: the Rose Ball if you if you if everyone recalls.
2: That's right. Another large park, it's but true. even it's true. The, just the little parks in 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 our zone, you know.
0: But yep. those are decisions. To Greg's point, those are decisions that city builders make, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and to deprive certain communities of those environments or parks and stuff is, you know, that's, those are just decisions. Like yeah. those are, it makes me not, think of like that doesn't happen randomly.
2: How, how, you know, that is a, a political um, decision, mm-hmm. you know, when, when budgets and, and, uh, you know, when it comes to like urban areas mm-hmm. and the push to create more parks and mm-hmm. open spaces, mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden, it's not just for recreation, just, you yeah. So, you know, fun. it's actually
0: Yeah.
2: uh very There's a public important. health reason yes. for it. Yes.
0: Yeah.
2: Um so I I he, he also talked about the anxiety of modernity that was happening at the time, mm-hmm. you know. Um he also discussed uh, I mean, what else? There was so much yeah. the
3: fire bombing of Tokyo. I'm like, do we need to do an episode on this? We people do. and things were exploding cuz this sounds insane to me.
2: Yes. How do we not know about this? I mean, We Okay, let's mark that down. We'll have to go back to that. But he was saying...
0: Well, we covered... uh,
2: Hiroshima. We
0: covered the nuclear bombs, but we didn't cover the the fire bombings.
2: bombings. Yeah. Um, Sounds absolutely terrible. When he was describing the tar melting and people getting Mm -hmm. stuck in... What a nightmare. Yeah.
3: It makes sense why, like... Like suddenly, like an event like this makes like it makes sense why um what's his name the giant Godzilla uh-huh. like <laughs> did not do you know what I mean realized that's what you were gonna say but okay <laughs> it makes sense why like they like they would had, like have this like history about Godzilla this like epic scary disaster because they that seems like that part of the world has just experienced like really epic. Catastrophic yeah. disaster so that's like that's a, a monster's embodiment of that struggle interesting
2: wow. for sure um, absolutely uh,
0: can you guys describe because he was talking at, at a certain point and I didn't see the video about the plate tectonics, and what was his hands doing when he said it was like the plates were doing this
2: okay, so this is the best way I can describe it. You put your your fingers uh your hand on top of each other
3: mm-hmm. Um, like you're l- resting your the tip of your fingers on the tips of your other fingers. Yeah. Okay. Maybe
2: maybe another way you could do, do it. <laughs> okay, this is gonna
3: it's go- this like- is gonna
0: be. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it's Pray. Like, put your hand in, in prayer. prayer. Yeah.
3: And then move your arms up so that your fingertips, basically, your like your t- two middle fingers are touching, and then uh-huh. slightly overlap
2: them. Yep, that's good.
3: And then when he said the, it, the tectonic goes like this. He said the plate or your top hand is basically, or your bottom hand is pushing
0: up.
2: Pushes the the top hand up so that it almost like scoops it out. Mm-hmm. Um, wow!
0: So, so, so it's not a it's not a shift so much as it is like a flip <laughs> or like a, a <laughs> yeah a, a rever- like a TP effect kind of. It's it's big time. Let's just say that. And yeah. That's
2: what's causing
3: the massive shaking and tsunamis that follow.
2: I might do a little video and post it on our Instagram of me explaining this movement. Okay, we'll do that. Um, so check out our Instagram uh, for the explanation, uh, the hand explanation.
3: We're not uh, going to put any description. We're just going to post you doing that and people will have to figure out why you're doing
2: it. Yeah, it'll why just say go to our hands. episode. So Listen to our episode to know what this is. <laughs> right. <laughs> um so what do we think? I, I feel like he he blamed complacency. I mean he, he Who did we end up blaming? We ended up blaming Clayton. Please remind us. Yes, okay.
0: it was my fault. <laughs> we ended, we ended up blaming Clayton. Clayton.
2: Clayton.
3: We, no, we ended up threw, blaming location. Um, location, <laughs> location. 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 Location, <laughs> location in jail.
2: Uh, which we knew might change based on the expert. Uh, that might backfire
3: <laughs> on us. And we gave the earthquake of humanity the big slap, which mm. had to do with more of like. <laughs> right,
0: because, and just to circle back to that um, horrific. The horrific aftermath that Greg mentioned, 6,000, is the rough estimate of, of peoples whose lives, the low yeah. people whose uh. lives were lost, including Chinese, or anybody who couldn't pull off the local Tokyo accent. Yes, which was people with speech impediments.
2: Oh, my God. That's just
0: crazy to me. So um, mm-hmm. that I think we can keep in as, as the big slap, which yeah. is just, hey, geez, mm-hmm. I know this is hard to understand, but... Um, but but, but, in terms of yeah, the, do you well, want to a, keep it as a location location location
2: I think uh, complacency is a little better actually <laughs> i mean i I understand why location location, location is important, um and because of the location, I think it's important right. not to be complacent, right? right um so i i in a way, I feel like we can fold in location, location, location to complacency, right, because. Mm-hmm.
0: You ca- it's not you have so much the location house. as much
2: as the, yeah, right. You ne- need to be aware and you have to have a plan. And this, and and you mentioned this, uh, Clayton, during the episode. But it, it it is a reminder of how important maintenance is. Mm-hmm. And you know how mm. many times how many times are you sometimes in school or wherever and you have to do another drill, right? And you're just like annoyed that you're doing a drill, um, mm. but really you you shouldn't be it's it's a really good reminder of getting in your body knowing what to do when when a disaster strikes so that it's it's um it's it's just you know inherently where to go
0: mm-hmm.
3: right so, the 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 shock of those moments whatever it is is so real and something that you just will never be able to plan for that the sheer repetition of this planning and you know preparation hopefully comes to you sooner because there will be the right of oh my gosh what what do i do yes and then hopefully that repetition is what you're like thankfully i've planned for this yeah Mm -hmm. um
2: so keep your sneakers in the car remember where uh, oh hard hats didn't think about that Mm, i guess about
0: those and get me an la app get me an la earthquake app that gives us that tells us when an earthquake is happening it probably is one already right there is yes
3: there is one i I got you there's i think there's several
2: there i have one on my phone but you, you should get it too chris because who we don't know if we'll be together when if and when this strikes <sighs> um
0: geez don't make me think about that i don't even like when you go to work i, I don't want to even think i don't wanna have to think about that
2: yeah, pretty soon he's gonna say he doesn't like my short haircut
0: oh <laughs> well, i love your short haircut that's why i
3: don't like when because you, when it, you it you could eat. cause an earthquake because it's so hot
2: no, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yes, yes, because it's so hot, but also Greg was talking about how society was up in arms because oh, yes. right. the women were cutting their hair cutting short. And <laughs> you just cut your hair short. I, I was did.
3: laughing about that. <laughs> Rebecca, uh, you're going to cause an earthquake. <laughs> grow
2: your hair out. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, okay, I think I should call it um, complacency. You're going to the alarmist jail. Now, Important, please. This is a good time and a good reminder to review your checklist. Make sure you have your water at home, all of your supplies, batteries, flashlights, uh, maps. Get your uh, paper maps uh, in order and uh, prepare because you just you just never know. Absolutely. You never know. Um, and also, this is also a good time to rate, review and subscribe Mm -hmm. because we're helping you. We're helping remind you not only to, uh, you know, uh, help us grow (laughs) this podcast, but we're helping you. we're, We're helping remind you of the things to do. We're Giving your actual
0: prize w-
3: advice. For <laughs> that's what you I was going alive. for. We're yeah, in. stay alive. Think of it this way: it may <laughs> be the <laughs> last chance that you have to leave that review because <laughs> that's true. Jeez, Clayton. But why like, don't say that?
2: seriously, just we need to we need to raise these uh, ratings we have on Apple Podcasts, and we need to keep growing and uh, spreading the word so that we can continue to do these episodes. So we really appreciate it, and we need you. Now, tune in next week, because we're going to be discussing Cinco de Mayo.
1: Erios. Powered by ACAS.